Welcome to the Alaska Journey Podcast. My name is Jamin Gurker. I'm a realtor in South Central Alaska, and my mission is to help people to build an intentional and significant legacy for themselves and their families by coaching them in real estate. And the purpose of this podcast is to answer the questions of those who are thinking about moving to Alaska and for those that are currently living here. And in pursuit of that goal today, we actually have a very special guest. Uh, he is actually an economist with the state of Alaska with the primary duty of producing economic data and analysis on a variety of economic issues facing Alaska. According to um, his rotary profile, uh, he is a primary author of articles appearing in the monthly uh, magazine of the Alaska Economic Trends published by the Alaska Department of Labor. Uh, Labor. This publication is distributed to over 5,000 subscribers. His articles cover a variety of the state's economic issues. Some of the topics on which he has performed economic analysis and written articles include annual economic forecasts, the cost of living, beer and coffee, construction, income and wage trends, the military, the healthcare industry, transportation, oil industry issues, labor needs, rural economic trends, economic impact of the Prince William Sound oil spill, the Matsu Valley's economy, and other issues. He has also served on the Governor's Oil and Gas Policy Task Force, Anchorage Economic Development Committee, the Governor's Technology Task Force, the Alaska Public Media Board, the King Careers Center's Business Industries Advisory Committee, and others. He also served on the Pacific Northwest Economic Conference Board and received the Governor's Denali Peak Performance Award. So without further ado, please welcome Neil Freed. How are you doing? <laughs> this is interesting. Yeah, that's uh, that's quite an intro. <laughs> yeah, but I should have told you you didn't have to read all that. But. <laughs> I mean, could, had to do it. Had to do I've it. I've been doing this for too long. That's why it's so dang long. <laughs> well, we're we're glad to have you. So what we're going to be discussing today is kind of the um, economic outlook for Alaska, just across the board overall. And we'll narrow down a little bit and kind of look more to the South Central Alaska and the, the Anchorage area. And what we'll be doing today is actually reading the uh, most recent publication of the Alaska Economic Trends and some of the forecasting that was published there. Uh, I'm not gonna read the entire report. So if you do want to you know, read the entire report verbatim, then that you're gonna have to go download it and um, make sure you do that. So, and the uh, link for how to download it will be in the show notes down in the description below. So, let me go ahead and read off the first kind of statewide forecast for 2021 written by Corrine Weibold. So, Alaska shed over 27,020 jobs last year, dropping employment to 2,003 levels. Before the pandemic, Alaska had weathered a long statewide recession followed by a single year of weak growth. Absent another shock, we'll recover some of the lost jobs this year. We've forecast a gain of about 8,600, but it will likely take several years to regain 2019's job levels. And kind of just Skipping on a little bit here, this year's success really hinges on several factors yet to be determined. The pandemic isn't over, and the timing and success of widespread vaccination will be a major determinant of 2021's course. Schools, have reop uh, schools haven't reopened yet. The tourist season is up in the air, especially for cruise ships. 
and questions linger about people's appetites for traveling and shopping. And kind of talking a little bit on the next page, uh, page five of the report, they do talk about kind of the decline of net migration for Alaska. And this, this isn't something that's, um, that's particularly new. It's you know, something that, uh, that has been occurring for a while. So um, Neil, can you talk a little bit about some of the, I guess the migration that we've seen from, that we see expressed in this chart? Yeah, I mean, you know, migration, and especially when you're losing some population, you know, people typically, what they visualize are people leaving, but there's really two very important slices of migration or change in population. How many people choose to move here versus how many people choose to leave? And the number of people coming here in recent years or not coming here is probably more important and more of a factor to add to this negative out-migration than the number of people leaving. The number of people leaving has been more stable, but the number of people coming here um, has increased some, and that's largely tied to sort of the, the difference in the economic conditions of the two places. For example, Alaska, um, as was already said, um, went into a pretty tough recession beginning in 2016, which ended in 2018, and now we're in another one, just like the rest of the country. But during the 16, 17, 18 period, the rest of the country was enjoying incredible prosperity. So when the country in a place um, is um, experiencing good um, and real prosperity, good employment growth and opportunities, people tend to stay put. And so more people were staying where they were in the rest of the country and fewer of them were choosing to come to Alaska um, because op opportunities were plentiful at home. Uh, that's the bigger explanation of why we've had negative out-migration for four to five years. Got it. No, that, that certainly does make sense. Um, okay, so kind of looking here at the, also the, the chart, which to see this, again, download the, uh, the full report and see this on page five, but they do offer a pie chart kind of showing kind of the different sectors of the economy as a whole that were lost. And you know, I'll go ahead and read through some of these, but we had about 30, 35% total of the, the jobs that were um, lost did come from the leisure and hospitality industry. And that, that certainly contributed to the largest, largest loss that we did see. Um, the second came from the transportation utilities where there was a 13% drop there. And then uh, retail saw a 9% drop. And then professional services, seven, oil and gas, um, seven in the government was contributed about 9%. So I guess we're not even talking specifically about Anchorage at this point, but you know, that's, you know, we're seeing a pretty big chunk there getting taken out of them, out of the leisure and hospitality industry. And that, and that really does reflect Anchorage as well. You could say the th same things about Anchorage. In fact, in this case, this is one of the few recessions where basically almost all 50 states have lost a lot of jobs and that profile of lost jobs isn't that different from ours. So leisure and hospitality, which is your bars, your restaurants, entertainment, and hotels, we all know have, in most places have, are the ones that have lost not only the largest number of absolute jobs, but also the 
per largest percent of jobs. You can see here it's over a third. And that's repeated itself in a lot of places. And most of the other ones are, are um, fairly similar uh, than elsewhere, with some exceptions like oil and gas, which doesn't exist in a lot of states, but in states that it does, that's taken a pretty big hit as well. And then the others, like transportation is another one, is I think the second largest job losses um, that occurred. And that's true also in so many different places. Yeah, I mean, I know a number of people who do work in the kind of the hospitality industry, and yeah. that's it, it's been brutal. It has been brutal. Yeah, that I mean, a lot of it kind of ties back to the tourism, which that yeah, some of it does, right? But in Anchorage, actually, more of it's probably from local consumption, because we have a big population here. We have a pretty deep um, eating and drinking industry here, um, pretty sophisticated. Um, you know, lots of variety, and where that happens, where that exists, those those places get hit even harder. Right. Um, so, it, it's and it has been, and but you're right. The visitor industry, the loss of that, you know, basically the rapture of the the uh, visitor industry this last year in 2020, some places is devastated, it, especially areas that are really where visitor industry is the biggest player. Then they they've seen even big, much bigger losses than we have. Right, right. Well, that's, you know, I'm glad that you brought that up because, I mean, everyone, I mean, Alaska's fair. Well, let me, let's, let's back up and do this. Can you kind of explain for the listener who might not be aware of it, what are some of the biggest factors in the Alaskan economy? You know, that's an interesting question. Um, you know, we used to have what was called the, um, the, the three-legged stool, which was, a third of the economy was tied to the federal government and federal expenditures, whether it was military, social security, you know, managing the national parks. We have a lot more of that than most places in the country. Federal government, very important to our economy. Another third used to be oil. And what the expenditures of oil, you know, like it basically paid for all of state government and lots of local state government. Well, that's not true anymore. Oil is still important but it's certainly not anywhere close to a third. But it's, it's one of those top players. Another one is the visitor industry. Um, and, and then fishing, commercial fishing. Those, um, the visitor industry is probably a little bit bigger um, than fishing. It used to be smaller, but you know, it's an industry that's been growing a lot um, in, um, recent, uh, in the last decade. And then you know, there's others like, in Anchorage what's really important is international air cargo. Our airport is one of the busiest airports in the country. And the reason why, well, there's a lot of reasons, but the biggest single reason, I think even some months during this last year, we may have been number one in the country, um, is because of all the international cargo that floats between Asia, then they stop off in Anchorage to transfer cargo and gas up, to some extent it's a large gas station, and then fly to somewhere else in the country or Europe, because we're sort of halfway between there. That's one of Alaska's Anchorage's advantages in some ways, especially for air transportation. And that's been growing a lot this year. It's one of the few huge positives because of COVID, because less, fewer passenger planes are flying and they also carry cargo. Um, so that business went to the UPSs of the world, the FedExes, and then just e-commerce, we all know has gone nuts. And most of that's flown, um, uh, especially up here. Um, and going from Asia again to, to Europe. So, um, 
uh, that's sort of it. I mean, there's other you know industries that are are that are definitely players in our economy. Right. Well. Well, good deal. Well, that's that's a good segue here. Let me read the little portion here in the report where they talk about uh, talk about the tourism yeah. <laughs> this past year, which is uh, which has pretty much been non-existent. Right. Well, not pretty much. It's it's been non-existent. Well, the only existence, or I should say, is is what Alaskans were doing this summer. You know, they were traveling a lot within their own state, just like a lot of other places. They say like the national parks were often full. And, you know, were places you could drive to. And of course, not many people are driving to Alaska, and Canada's made that even more difficult, so hardly anyone has. Um, but local residents have contributed some, and a few have snuck in here and out. You know, I've not snuck in, but I, I ran <laughs> into a number of them. But you're right, it's basically close to zero. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, yeah, it's, um, I mean, I can definitely speak for the Alaskans getting, getting around the state. I mean, I remember going dip netting earlier in the summer oh. and just... <laughs> Hundreds of people, shoulder to yeah. shoulder. Oh yeah, and they had more time this year. They had more time this year. Yeah, it yeah. was a it was a good old time. Yeah, it was. <laughs> I mean, the recreation. I was just skiing down at Gerwood last weekend. Longest lines I've ever seen. You know, and that's all locals. You know, people from the valley and Anchorage and, and maybe the Kenai Peninsula. But very, you know, people want to get out there. Yeah, I, I think safe that. Places. Yeah, I think that has something to do with just being so. <laughs> Cooped up. Cooped up. Right. It's like, you know what? Dang it. I live in Alaska. <laughs> Let's go do something. And it's very easy to do something here yep. in that kind of environment. Oh, yeah. World-class uh, world class views and scenery everywhere. <laughs> but let me go and read this quick part from the report then. So, concerns about the virus and restrictions halted Alaska's 2020 tourism season. Southeast anticipated a record number of cruise ship uh, passengers but ended up with almost none. While some travelers came other ways, the numbers were nothing like we were used to. Southeast communities bore the brunt of the lost season, as did the, the Denali Borough in the interior. The more populated and economically diverse areas, Anchorage, the Kenai Peninsula, and Fairbanks, felt the absence, but to a lesser degree. Bars, restaurants, and hotels, the biggest slice of the leisure and hospitality sector, lost the most jobs as locals and tourists alike stayed home. The sectors as a whole lost about a quarter of its employment last year. We expect the industry to recover 3,500 jobs in 2021, which would be about 40% of what it lost. The question is how many establishments can hold out until the pandemic ends and demand resumes. Tourist dependent businesses, especially in places with a little local demand will have weathered 18 months without substantial income before the earliest, most opti optimistic possibility of a visitor season. So if you're uh, if you're highly tourist oriented in your business, it's it's been rough. It's been really rough. Rough, rough, rough. And still, they're haunted by what might happen this year. I suspect people in that industry have lost and continue to lose a tremendous amount of sleep. Yeah, I mean, I've spoken with a number of them before. I mean, you know, retail businesses just as a whole got got hammered just because Some did. grocery yeah. stores are doing great. Oh yeah, I mean, they're <laughs> they're so are the booming. Marijuana stores. <laughs> oh yeah, they're booming. That's one of our one of our highlights here. <laughs> so they're doing awesome, but um, but yeah, it's it's definitely been been very tough for if that's that's kind of your business oh it's uh, there's no doubt about it all right 
So one more part here in this report I'd like to kind of look at is change in the numbers of government jobs kind of over the, the past decade here. And so let me just read this part here. Um, we did see kind of an increase, well, so th this is me paraphrasing. Um, there was an increase in kind of the number of uh, federal jobs that were added over the past year. And I'm gonna just quote it here with the federal government added 500 jobs in 2021, but there were mostly temporary positions for um, the decennial census that kicked off in Tusuk Bay in January. Federal employment will shrink back to pre-census levels this year. Um, skipping ahead, the steepest state government loss came from the University of Alaska in recent years. UA has weathered deep funding cuts and grappled with dwindling enrollment problems that persist this year. So I guess one question I did have about them, about UA, are those are those cuts, are those being borne by like the tenured professors who are teaching or is it the support staff? I guess where's the, if we're looking at UA, where do the, the cuts usually fall? It's fallen sort of across the board. And they've been, um, you know, been very deep. Um, I don't know about tenured, I don't know if tenured professors have lost their jobs, but certainly professors, teachers, support staff um, in the university system because they've experienced substantial cuts and they've been experiencing losses for a number of years. Um, now I have to say my daughter just became a professor last year. Um, <laughs> Does she teach she economics be a, too? She better be a good grant writer. But <laughs> uh, uh, she teaches some semesters and others. She's just doing research. Um, uh, but there's also been, you know, and of course, the pandemic didn't add to this. Um, you know, student enrollment also went down this last year, like it has across the country, and, and also hurt funding. But yeah, I mean, most of it's just they've lost a, a lot of state funding um, in the last probably five or six years, and they and the, the funding is expected to shrink at least another year. Um, so that we will continue to lose um, jobs in that arena, and some of it's also because the out, some of the folks that work there now, um, you know, because they've looked out, they've, they, they, you know, they've moved on. Um, but right now, this COVID year, and, you know, because of also turnover, they've actually brought in some new staff and it's been very easy to recruit staff right now because of what's happening elsewhere in the country and, and at college education levels. I got too detailed there. <laughs> no, that's that's it's, perfect. It's very close to home, but <laughs> that that's 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 perfect. That's perfect. So, kind of talking a little bit about the the cuts, the funding. Um, this is the part. Let me go and just read this this part right here, and I'll let you kind of comment on it because I I feel like this is um, a little unique for, for to Alaska. So, for decades, most of the state's discretionary revenue came from oil below prices and diminishing production have dragged the industry down in recent years. More recently, some large investment banks have stopped providing capital to companies working on the North Slope and a controversial blend of politics and economics. The outgoing Trump administration's move in late 2020 to quickly open parts of the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge um, and war to drilling amplified the sense of short-term opportunity, but also the um, tumult. 
Regardless, the trends for oil and gas jobs and revenue paid to the state have been distinctly downward over the last decade. So, yeah. So, um, I guess can you talk a little bit about the, the oil being a source of income for... Right. for a Because I, I don't think a lot of people kind of realize just how much there's a trickle-down right. effect with our oil with a lot of the services. And, and it have. is pretty unique in Alaska. Um, not oil production, although our oil production is incredibly unique because of the remoteness of it. And at one time, we were the largest oil producer in the country. That certainly is not true um, anymore. But the, one of the unique functions in Alaska is a very large, large income stream from the production of oil goes straight to Alaska. I mean, some people call this the ownership state because almost all the oil that comes from Alaska comes off of state lands, which means the state not only receives taxes, but also revenues, because we're a part sort of owner of this resource. And because that was such a rich resource for a very long time, it basically funded almost all of state government. And to some extent, almost most of local education um, around the state, which is a big industry. And from an economic standpoint, the difference between that and most other places where most oil revenues go to private individuals or shareholders, a big chunk of it was going to the state of Alaska, which then turned around and spent this on all kinds of government educational services. So it made up a, that part of those expenditures made up a basic sector of Alaska's economy, just like the oil does, just like fishing. It's bringing new money into Alaska. We sell the, uh, the rest of the world our oil and they, they give us money. Um, Whereas in most places, state government and, and even local government is supported by taxes, whether it's income taxes, state taxes, other things. Um, so it's a really important slice of our economy, whereas you wouldn't say that in California, um, because they could spend that money somewhere else if you desired to. Uh, and, and so that's why we watch it pretty closely, because it's also just another important economic indicator, not just a, a provider of of goods or of services, but it's a good chunk of places' economies, um, and and for the state's economy in the whole, and that's why watching it, and that's what's one of the factors of why our economy has, when it's grown, it's been growing very modestly um, over the last ten years, and had a number of down years, and, and some of the explanation for that is the, the loss, the decline um, in state government and local government, which is completely as a result of the decline in either oil production and prices. But it's even more complicated. More recently, which is fascinating, is, is a very big experiment. We have this giant permanent fund that people have heard about, um, about $70 billion in the bank that we've saved basically for rainy days. Well, the rainy day has kind of arrived. Right. And now the state government takes about 5% of like a foundation about 5% of those earnings, or of the fund, of $70 billion, or it's less than that actually, because not all of it's in the corpus of the fund. And that has filled a big hole, and it's actually is, is generating more income than oil coming, I mean, revenues coming straight from oil, from the oil industry. That's become a bigger player, and a big piece of our economy. So it's weird, we have this big trust fund here that now we're spending, well, we've been spending money off that trust fund via 
permanent fund dividends that right. all residents receive, that annual check that might be 500000 or 2000 depending on how well the stock market is. But now we're also taking um, money out of there to fund government. Got it. Okay, so... Are they take when they take money? Is it based off of the interest that's being used, or do they go after the principal of the fund itself? It's like a foundation. You know, okay. a foundation has so much money, and they take about five percent of the value of that foundation, and that is theoretically sustainable over the long run. Um, but that money is is from an economic standpoint is a basic part of our economy, just like building cars in Detroit is a basic part of Detroit's economy. The restaurant may not be. That's just people that are earning money from that then spend it on those restaurants. Um, and that's the sort of the same role here. And that's a really strange concept for the U.S. economy. Maybe a little more like Norway or, or um, Saudi Arabia. Although I don't think Norway, I'm not sure if Norway has yet started to spend any of the interest from their giant our started before theirs, but not <laughs> nearly as big. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Man, that's wild. I didn't realize that. It's wild. I don't think most Alaskans understand that yet. Yeah, it's no. It's relatively I, new. Yeah, I hadn't realized the the PFD like the income was at or above what the oil production actually was. That's that's new. Okay. <laughs> well, I'm sure it's not new. It's new to me. Yeah. No, it's a very strange concept and it takes you know a while for people to sort of understand i think a lot of our population might not especially that that newest twist that um we're we're operating like a foundation now um, which was it's sort of it's one of its original purposes because people knew that this was a finite well is it a finite resource may not be but it, it, it production would eventually decline right and right we, so we saved some of that right well that was um Definitely had some good foresight um, to put that money aside for it, a rainy day. It was, so. definitely. Okay, well, we can talk a long time about yeah, the PFD. We, can, and we don't want to. <laughs> we can talk a long time about that. I just wanted people to kind of understand just how interwoven oil. Right, and then you go P to your favorite watering hole and you get 12 opinions. Yeah. But those are fundamentals. Those aren't opinions. Those are just, that's how it works. Exactly. Because I'm not allowed to tell you about my opinion. <laughs> They, we'll, we'll get that off the record. <laughs> okay, so going on here, last little section that just kind of talks about um, talks about the Alaska economy across the board here. Uh, leaving on a positive notes here, so parts of the economy that are strong. Um, so while Alaskans are considerable, or while Alaska faces considerable headwinds, pieces of the economy remain positive. Our resources, mining, oil and gas, tourism, and our strategic location for military operations and transportation will continue to attract new money to the state. These cash infusions will be vital as we move toward long-term recovery. It may take a couple of years for visitor numbers to return to pre-COVID levels, and some tourist preferences may change, but Alaska will continue to draw visitors. Investments in Juneau, Huna, Skagway, and other coastal communities, such as New Cruise ship docks were expected to pay off sooner, but they will eventually bear fruit. Alaska is outsized, has an outsized military presence that provides economic ballast and will continue to stabilize many areas with consistent infusions of federal money. Finally, Alaska's mining opportunities 
and oil and gas reserves remain abundant. Oil industry jobs and oil-derived revenue are likely to stay depressed by historical standards, but both will continue to contribute significantly to Alaska's economy. So it's uh, nice to hear that it's not all uh, necessarily doom and gloom, but one question I did have, because looking at some charts over on page eight in the report, it does show kind of the long-term employment trajectories of kind of some Alaskan industries. Mm -hmm. And we'll have some more numbers we'll kind of talk about later on here about the mining and, and logging industry, but um, why are we seeing such an, such an uptick in the value of, of minerals and, and for the mining industry and logging? Well, logging is very tiny. So I can't, logging has not changed for years and it's much smaller than it was originally in the late 1990s. So most of that, that exhibit there is mining and that includes oil and gas. It's not your hard rock mining. Hard rock mining right now is doing quite well. It really was not affected by COVID. I mean, it was to a degree it became, because it became a little more expensive because of workforce and, and they had to deal with quarantining people and stuff. But as far as the amount of activity, um, it's done really well in the last couple of years. And part of it's because commodity prices are very good as well um, around the world, whether it's gold prices, silver, and others. So that's been one of the actually bright spots um, in our economy currently and for a number of years. Um, uh, the, the, there's like, I think it's about four or five significant mines, and then there's a lot of small mining operations. But that's that's one of the big, even current positives, and has been for a while. Slowly been growing, but you know, each time a new mine, which takes a long time to get started, you know, it goes, it ticks up a little more um, for that industry. Outstanding, because yeah, I imagine you've got to do a lot of mining before it becomes profitable at a certain level right a, so, a lot a lot of investments right. i should say before and, and, it becomes profitable and, uh, you know we're in an expensive environment um you know the, there's so many of them that are very remote so to make that work generally those operations have to be pretty darn big right right to get the scale that you need okay well outstanding well that's um that's kind of the the big thirty thousand foot view looking at the entire state um Let's, uh, let's go and move on here to the Anchorage forecast for 2021, which this is uh, something that, uh, that Mr. Neil Freed actually wrote himself. That is going to be page nine, so make sure you go check that out. I'm going to read just a couple of highlights here. Go download it yourself to read all of it. <laughs> so uh, let's see. Anchorage's 2020 job loss was the largest in its history, even bigger than the 1980s bust. The city lost nearly 14,000 jobs in less than 12 months as the pandemic damaged every industry, and some big unknowns persist as we enter 2021. Biggest questions usually center on the price of oil and few other key influence on the economy's direction, but these appear uh, appear simple, rel simply relative to the new uncertainties this year, knowing how soon the vaccine will put the pandemic behind us and how it will spread until then would solve a big piece of the puzzle. Um, this is definitely something I highlight highlighted. So consumers are a related wild card, as we don't know when people will resume normal habits, but there's little doubt the pent up demand will play a role in the recovery. 
Anchorage lacked momentum even before the pandemic hit because the city hadn't yet pulled out of the statewide recession. Similarly, 2021 shows no strong catalyst for growth, such as high oil prices, hordes of visitors, or an increase in military spending. Because none of these boosts appear likely, Anchorage's employment gains will come from mending. In other words, Anchorage needs to recapture some of those 14,000 lost jobs, and it will take more than a year to claw back all the losses. So as as much as we'd like to see everything just snap right back into place where we were in, in 2019, this is, this is going to be a process. Well, not only is that going to be a process, but to even recoup the years when we lost jobs in 2016, and 17, 18 has not, and 19 has not happened yet. We basically had five years of job losses in Alaska and in Anchorage. So that puts us back to we, where we were in basically 2001. That was a long time ago. And prior to, prior to COVID, the losses in 16, 17, and 18 had pushed Anchorage back to 2015 or 2010 because the last peak we had in employment was in 2015. So what that means is, is we, it is hard for that many jobs to have occurred, lost jobs occurred, and over a longer period of time, and not seeing any major engine for growth except for sort of the pent-up demand and, and some improvement in oil prices and stuff. Yeah, it's going to take quite a while for, um, or probably longer for Anchorage to regain um, it's lost jobs than the rest of the state. Um, but, you know, last, I mean, this last year losses were just huge. Um, of course, some of those losses are definitely temporary um, and not because some basic se sector has been shrinking, but it, it's sort of a combination of the two. So, yeah, we've been hit pretty hard. Now, some of Anchorage's losses have also been gains for the Matsu Borough, which is just north of us. Right. It's called the Anchorage Matsu Metro area in some ways. Um, they've been actually gaining jobs most of this time in population. So if you added those two, what would be called county equivalents, and in Alaska we call them municipalities and boroughs, the losses wouldn't be as um, large as they appear just for the city of Anchorage. Right, right. I mean, yeah, that's that's actually a really good point because I mean the the Matsu Borough, for the most part, didn't really shut down very much. No, during, it uh, did the not. Pandemic. It did not. Yeah, and I mean it's, yeah, it was. Um, you're you're very aware you're living in in two different cities, mm -hmm. going between Anchorage and anywhere in the the Matsu Borough. Right. In the past couple, well, even to this day, you're pretty aware you're living in <laughs> two different cities. <laughs> and, you know, the largest part of, of their earnings and income come from outside of the Matsu Borough because that population, over 40% of it, l works somewhere outside of uh, the Matsu Borough. A big chunk of them, uh, about a third, come, uh, commute to Anchorage. Um, and then another big chunk commutes to the North Slope um, and then others elsewhere. It's, in some ways, you could call a bedroom community. I mean, those kind of phenomenons exist elsewhere in the country, but it's the only one sort of here in Alaska, um, especially that part that comes to Anchorage on a daily basis, or used to before COVID. Um, <laughs> and, and that's going to be an interesting question, what impact that has if people continue to work at home. 
but uh, um, but then there's that other segment that goes a long distance, um, not just each day, but you know over weeks or maybe even months. Right. Well, I mean, I was. Um, <laughs> that's definitely something I, I talk with people about when they're moving here, and they're talking about commuting in from um, from the valley. It's like, well, you can definitely do it. Keep in mind, you're going to be doing it with about a quarter of the state or however many people <laughs> come in every day from the Matsu Borough to work in Anchorage. <laughs> but, I mean, you know, I have a hard time with the idea. I walk to work, um, uh, and I, I love it. Um, but, you know, the average American um, that comes here from somewhere else does a lot of commuting. Um, and that commute between Anchorage and the Matsu Borough for a lot of Americans, like in Seattle or other most places, that's not a terribly difficult commute. Um, you know, if we've always lived here, we think, wow, that's a long ways, but not if you're, and it's, you know, um, and there are lots of different reasons. Of course, housing is much more affordable um, in the Matsuburo. That's one of its big attractions. Another attraction probably is, they may not think this, but being close to Anchorage is also an attractive idea, but not maybe living in Anchorage. There's a group of people like that as well. Exactly. I mean, the two places are very, if you took a, a, a picture from, you know, um, you know, high in the sky, or, you know, um, you would think it was one community. Um, in fact, some statistics that you read that the federal government puts together just adds the two economies together because there's so much interaction, and, and then just call it Anchorage, and you don't realize you're looking <laughs> also at the Matsu Borough. I mean, 100,000 people, that's about a third, and they're the second largest population base in the state. Yeah, I mean, they're, uh, aren't they like number one for the number of new homes being built? They build like, about 45 to 50% of new homes each year uh, in Alaska. Uh, one spot. Yeah, <laughs> one spot. They have 17% of the population and 50% or 45 to 50% of new homes built. <laughs> they're, uh, they're busy. <laughs> they're busy out there. But they did lose some ground in 2020 as well uh, to COVID. Not quite as much as the average. But in 15, 16, 17, 18, when much of the state's economy was in a recession, they kept growing, and both population-wise and employment-wise. Okay. And I guess what are the, like, what causes the Matsu borough to grow and the rest of the state? Um... I think one of the things is that the housing is considerably more affordable than it is in Anchorage. Your average single-family home is $100,000 less approximately than, and that makes a big difference. And there are other reasons. You know, if some people want to live in a more rural place um, than, than maybe Anchorage, and there may be other reasons as well. And then you know, some people rather work and live in Anchorage because they want all those urban amenities. I mean, it's just, you know, some of it's taste. I think a lot of it's economics. And then a lot of those people that commute that work in Matsu, it's a very different environment, and, and but they have the advantage of, of those urban amenities. They're just not quite as close. Gotcha. Yeah, I'd, I'd be interested to see a study to see what the disposable income is. People who live and work in Anchorage versus those who live in the borough but work in Anchorage. Because in Anchorage, you get the higher wages. That's and in right. In Matsu Valley, you get the lower, lower right. cost of living. So... Well, and the average, I mean, the average income in the valley is lower than Anchorage, but, and the average salary or average earnings 
for people that live in the massive area is considerably lower than Anchorage. But a lot of those people make up for that by live, working in Anchorage, but living in the Massive Valley. And, that, and, and so that, that, a disproportionate amount of their earnings is because of the, 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 their, the, the folks that commute. And they commute because, you know, we have a lot of the headquarters, we have the oil industry here, a lot of headquarters companies are here, and, the, and a lot of the employment that exists here tends to pay higher um, wages. Um, uh, and it's not because of the less cost of living there, but it's because the, most of their economy and jobs are tied to servicing the population, like mm -hmm. eating and drinking, and those, and those tend to pay less, or retail. And right. Okay. Okay. That that definitely does make that make more sense because I wondered about that for a while. I know the cost of like the cost of housing was definitely a part of it, but okay. That see, I'm learning stuff today. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's go and move on here. So the state's oil industry, which headquarters in Anchorage, lost a massive number of jobs during the recession, then began to recover in. 2018 and continued adding jobs in 2019. As 2020 began, it looked like a good year. ConocoPhillips, Oil Surge, Hillcore, and other producers planned a busy 2020, but the oil price collapsed early in the year. Um, deep sixed those plans, and oil employment statewide plummeted to 1999 to 2000 levels. Anchorage also had to contend with the sale of BP to Hillcore Finance in June of 2020. Hillcore's smaller workforce disproportionately removed jobs from headquarters in Anchorage. And because the transfer began in July 2020, the loss will carry into 2021. Even though oil price expectations remain relatively low, we forecast some rebound for the industry this year. Prices show signs of improvement and activity is picking up. So that's... Uh, that's not too bad to hear. Uh, let's see. So the next part here is really kind of talking about the, the tourist industry a little bit. I'll go ahead and just read um, just this one paragraph here. Um, go read the whole report if you'd like. But because the number of tourists shrunk to almost nothing in 2020, it can only improve in 2021. That's, that's a good outlook. So in June... <laughs> 2020, um, Anchorage had lost 2,900, or I'm sorry, 2,095 jobs in hotels in contrast to 3,834 the prior June. Hotel room revenues fell from 254 million during the first three quarters of uh, 2019 to 113 million for the same period in 2020. Car rentals and restaurants followed a similar pattern. According to Opportunity Insights, restaurants and hotel spending was down 38% in Alaska in the first week of November. So, yeah, that's kind of goes back to what we were kind of talking before, just how the, the tourist and um, tourist scene just was not really existent up here, and we definitely did feel the impact from it. Um, anecdotally, I did work with a number of people who were just trying to sell their, their Airbnbs because there was just nobody. Um, I was talking with somebody back in, I believe it was March, and he said, hey, I'm down about 70% in my Airbnb reservations or where we typically are. So that was um, kind of just the heartbringer that that's what we were about to jump into. Well, it's also a very good time for those 
a lot of those properties to sell if, if they're residential. The residential market, as you know, is pretty good. In fact, it was better this last year than it was the year before, even though we lost all these jobs. And that's not just an Anchorage phenomenon that's happening all over the country. Now, if you're trying to rent um, apartments, that's a different story. It's funny because my son's, like I said, has been up here the last nine, well, eight or nine months, and he's been renting Airbnbs, and they're they're plentiful. Um, although I thought the prices probably would have fallen even more. <laughs> <laughs> you would think so. Like I, I here's the thing. I went to to Seward like a couple months ago. They were charging me like summer rates, and I was right. like, you know, I'm not gonna kick them while they're down. Just just pay for it. just pay it. <laughs> but. Um, yeah. <laughs> Outstanding. And uh, if that, so it's it's not just me saying now it's a good time to sell. You also hear it here too. So. Oh, yeah. Well, I've got the numbers. You know, sales were considerably up in 2020 in Anchorage. And new home construction was up quite a bit as well. It was the best year in five years for new permit, residential permits in Anchorage. See, I'm I'm glad that you brought that up because that was another part here in the in the report that really surprised me. I'm I'm not really sure where that came from. But you're in the industry. Yeah, well, not as much in the new construction though. So no, it's... but it's just, I, before you came, I was talking to a podcaster about that. He's he says, you know, how's this possible? We've been losing population, but we're still building. We're not building a lot of homes. I mean. Um, you know, it, the last five years have been pretty slow um, for Anchorage. Um, but this year, last 2020 was good. Appreciation was up nicely. I mean, it's, it is, it's, well, the recession is deep as we've experienced because of COVID. And this is happening elsewhere in the country. It's not unique to Anchorage. Right, right. I, I always thought like builders were going to think like two, three years down the line. I didn't think they had like such you know, quick reaction mm -hmm. to like what was happening. Because yeah, the sales price in Anchorage actually did go up 5.82% uh, mm -hmm. for the average sold price, which, I mean, that's that's pretty significant when you start looking at certain properties. Right. That For some people, that's the difference between I can move or I can't move. Right. No, people can sell. I mean, it's interesting. It's very, and I think a lot of people are motivated um, to sell for a variety of reasons because they've always worried about the past. But, of course, there are also people being motivated to buy, obviously. One anecdote I heard about Anchors is we built more million-dollar homes this last year than we ever have. Really? Yeah. Now, what, <laughs> I don't have that. Uh, I have it from a very good source, but I don't, I don't actually see the statistic. And I've heard that from two good sources. Got it. Okay. I mean, we're talking about small numbers here, but still, it's just... It's very interesting. But again, that's happening a lot. Of, it's just like the real estate market in San Francisco, for example. It's much easier to rent. It's much cheaper now. But to buy, it's more expensive than ever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, interest rates are down. So yes. it's like it, it kind of just keeps up with itself. Right. <laughs> All right. Outstanding. I mean, that's one reason that we've seen even lower foreclosures, you know, in this environment where a lot of people thought that would increase. Right. Well, I'm glad that you brought that up because I actually did dive into the research myself on that count. And I saw that there's around 15, 1600 total loans in all of Alaska that's delinquent. And now that's different than foreclosures. And that's yeah. different from foreclosures. Right. And about just over a thousand of those were in forbearance, uh -huh. which means, you know, they're working with their lender to, okay. to make it work. 
And I mean, I did a little bit more research too and found out only about 772 homes in all of Anchorage has less than $10,000 worth of equity, which that's really, really kind of your danger red alert mark once you fall below that. If you have to sell, you're looking at a loss or very likely some kind of a short sale or foreclosure. So even if everybody that's delinquent or in forbearance had to go on, to, like had to sell because they couldn't pay for their mortgage, we're realistically looking like they'd have to, they have to sell, but you wouldn't be able to tell them apart from anyone else mm -hmm. that's out there. You might see a slight increase in the inventory because the inventory is low. You might see an increase in the inventory, but you're not going to be able to tell which is distressed and which one isn't. So <laughs> that's, um, yeah, that's, uh, that's in a video that will be coming out of my YouTube <laughs> channel. So look for that Alaska realtor. <laughs> it's a long one. So get some popcorn. It's good. <laughs> okay. So kind of moving along here. So let's talk a little bit about kind of the, the air transportation a little bit. So you mentioned before that definitely the airport is a big section of our economy here. So the biggest losses were tied to, uh, this is on page 11, the biggest losses were tied to air transportation and tourism. Passenger traffic through the Ted Stephen Anchorage International Airport dropped by 80% in March and April and remained over 50% lower in October and November. Scenic and sightseeing transportation employment declined from 424 in the second quarter of 2019 to 97 in 2020. The pandemic didn't hobble all transportation. International air cargo thrived because of increased competition from passenger airlines. The number of landings increased by 40 to 60%, which helped companies like FedEx, UPS, and Atlas Air. And see, that is just not something you would no. expect to see. <laughs> but I mean, it makes sense. If we just have more right. more e-commerce coming in, that, that certainly makes sense. Um, all right, so let's go ahead and look at a couple more parts here in the report then. Uh, this is on page 11. So kind of talking about the health care and kind of what the, what the projection is for that. So... Uh, healthcare is Anchorage's largest private sector employer, and Anchorage is home to over half of the state's healthcare jobs. Healthcare commonly generates the largest number of new jobs each year, and it has for a long time. So, and just kind of skipping on here, uh, this amb ambulatory, my, I can't be pronounced. Ambulatory. Yeah. There we go. I know, it's, it's a weird term that no one else uses. It's like, I kept wanting to say obligatory, but no. <laughs> okay, so employment fell by 906 jobs in May with from the previous year. And employment in hospitals dipped slightly, but jobs began to return as the year progressed. We forecast that as the pandemic subsides and vaccine coverage grows, regular and delayed demand will push healthcare to a near full recovery by the end of 2021. So... Not a uh, not a bad not a bad outlook as far as as far as that goes then. Yeah, I mean healthcare was one of the ones that kind of humbled us forecasters last year, and, and when we were just thinking about it, when the COVID started to, to manifest itself, you know we we thought about well we knew it was going to hurt most industries, but we were thinking also what industries might benefit from it, and one of the obviously one obvious ones was um, healthcare. But then we didn't realize that 
big slices would be shut down or consumers were getting you know concerned just like they do for eating and drinking um, uh, and they actually lost a lot of ground and this is the first loss Anchorage has ever seen I've been following this industry for over 30 years even statewide this one grew for more than 30 or 40 years in the 1980s stalled once and it was definitely responsible for a lot of the new jobs in Anchorage and elsewhere for the last decade. Part of it's because we were getting few other new jobs in other places. Um, but, and the ambulatory care, which lost a lot of ground, and it, to explain that, it's mostly what you think of as doctor's offices, um, private practices, um, it would include not only, you know, d dentists and doctors, but, but also chiropractors, and others sort of in that um, personal healthcare industry. Um, and they're beginning to come back. And we figure healthcare needs are going to be as good or better than they've ever been. The population continues to age. And that's why we think eventually when people are feeling comfortable and they're already seeing more of it, um, they, they will return in, in larger numbers and, and should get back to where they were prior to COVID, probably more quickly than most of the other industries. Right, because people are still going to need to have the procedures done that they were, that they're wanting to get done before. But right, it's it's just going to have to get pushed off a little bit. So right. still going to get done, just pushed off. I mean, the medical establishments, you probably read, it's to some degree concerned that some people that should be getting um, procedures done who have hesitated could become a problem. But that we expect a lot of pent up demand there. Got it. Well, that's, uh, that's another silver lining then. So I guess switching gears here, kind of just going to the employment by region section in the report on page 20. Uh, let's see here. And I'm trying to just look at the, kind of the adjusted, seasonally adjusted employment rates. Yeah, these are hard numbers. Yeah. To it, some degree. <laughs> yeah, it's... <laughs> Okay, why don't you try to break down like 30,000 foot view, yeah. what, what am I looking at What here? this is just looking <laughs> at is w what the impacts COVID have had on different parts of the state, because it's varied quite a bit, and it's somewhat instructive of what our economies are made out of, or what's happening in those economies. The economy that's really probably, even though it shows up as the third worst hit, is the single economy that's probably felt most pain um, is... Um, in Southeast, because mm -hmm. this remember is just one month. But if you look at the annual numbers, at, adding up all of what we've had this 2020 compared to 2019, the picture is much uglier in Southeast. Southeast is probably the most dependent, or one of the most dependent sectors, and it's fairly sizable uh, in Alaska's economy um, that's dependent on tourism. The cruise ships almost all go through. Um, these southeast communities, you know, we're talking over a million um, passengers, and that was, of course, completely evaporated um, last year. And then on top of that, another industry that's very important to that area is fishing, and that also was really lousy this year. Not because of COVID so much, just the fish didn't show up that year. So they got hit really hard. Anchorage was hit similar to the rest of the state, because it kind of reflects the the the, um, the rest of the state's industries, some missing. Um, 
you add in Matt Suborough, and our numbers look even a little bit better because the southeast hasn't been hit as hard. The northern part of the state, they show the biggest loss, and it's almost all on the north slope, borough, and that's because of the jobs lost in the oil industry. That basically explains all that. Right, because that's, that's sitting at about 15.7% yeah. decrease, whereas the um, Anchorage and the Matsu is sitting at 8.4. So Right, and then at... The best, or the seen the least losses, is um, Southwest Alaska, which includes you know some of our largest fisheries. Now, even though the salmon season wasn't that great, and it's huge there, I mean the fish came back, so those numbers were there. Prices were pretty poor, um, but but because the, the fish did arrive, um, and other fisheries did relatively well. Uh, and they don't have a very large service sector, like very little leisure and hospitality, which mm -hmm. are the kind of sectors that were hit really hard, um, and some of the other more personal ones. They've only lost, you know, a little less than 3%. So their picture is quite different. And it's large because their economy is just very different, very rural, um, not a tremendous amount of employment, um, and, a, and, and, a fair, and, and not a, a real diverse um, economy as well. Um, so it's, it has varied around the state, although when you look at this, you know, most of the area has been, been somewhere between 8 or 75 and 8%, just like the overall state has experienced an 8 to 9% loss. Right. And how would well, you... We have to remember, I mean, if you have an audience from outside the state, you know, you, our total workforce is about 300,000, total population about 700,000, a little less than that. I mean, you can cram all of Alaska's economy into a quarter of Seattle. And that's a good way to look at it. I mean, I try to explain it to people this way. It's like if you're here in this state and you're wanting to throw off the statistics, you probably have the impact that 10 people would in a city somewhere else. Yeah, no, it's, we're very, you know, we're not the smallest state population-wise, but we're certainly spread out. And, you know, for the size of our geography, the state's huge. Right. The population and employment is small compared to the size. Right. So how would you say, like, Alaska Alaska stands as far as the employment goes? Or, I mean, I think you were talking before about um, kind of your hesitancy or the, and not wanting to use unemployment, you know, ratings when we're trying mean, to compete. You mean in our rankings? Right, right, we're right. Definitely, we're definitely in the bottom half of the state for losses um, due to COVID and other things um, that were happening. But due to COVID... Um, you know, we're a, a visitor industry is very important to us. We're not the only place. Interestingly, the states that have been hit the hardest are places like Nevada and Hawaii, where their dependence on tourism is even big, way bigger than it is here. Right. So that kind of gives you an idea of that lost visitor season. Our visitor season is basically a four or five month season. Of course, these other places, it's a 12 month season. Um, and we have, um, so, um, but we're, we're, uh, our numbers losses are um, sort of in the bottom half of the countries. Got it. Okay. Yeah, it's um, and it's interesting looking at the economy and just appreciating. Man, we really do have kind of a diverse setup here. I mean, very different. Yeah. So I mean, good news is when you got that diverse of an economy, certainly everything. Well, you would think certainly everything can't get hit at the same time, but I no, mean, and our economy is actually less diverse than most states. Um, but um, you know, when we look for other states that are similar to us, 
what normally comes to people's minds are are the Pacific Northwest, because maybe culturally it's more similar, and of course it's closer, and a lot of the people that live here came from there, and a lot of people here go to there because it's close, and, and other th histories. But no state really is very comparable. Um, the one that we found we think is closest as far as economic standpoint goes is Louisiana, which really? is really weird. But really, when you, but Louisiana. When you think of, but when you think about it, they have a very large fishing sector. Okay. You know, whereas you know most of the other states down there have a very small fishing sector, and we catch more fish here than anywhere else, probably everywhere. And um, they have a very large visitor sector in Louisiana, and they have a fairly large federal sector as well. Um, you know, so that's the state that's seen, even though it's still very different than us, one of the more close, you know, when you ask your average person out there, even Alaskan, what do you think we're most like? They say, oh, Idaho or Washington or Oregon. Not really. Um, uh, well, not really. Absolutely not. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it, there's so many, it's really interesting. Here's another difference that's really instructive. There, there are people that put together these maps of all 50 states and put in the largest company that generates the most income in those states. You know, like in Washington, it might be Microsoft. In Oregon, it might be Nike. You know, in Texas, it used to be Exxon. I don't know what it is now. Um, in Alaska, it's the permanent fund. Um, so it also shows that the public sector plays also a very big role compared to a lot of other places. But it's just kind of weird. It's right. the only non-private state, the only non-private entity that generates the, the most income um, in the country. Um, that's number one versus, you know, other states that are all private, you know, privately held private sector um, employer, uh, uh, companies with revenues. Man, that's wild. It is wild. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure we could spend an entire episode <laughs> just, yeah. just unpacking that. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so let's. That's that's a great wealth of information, Neil. Um, I just got a couple more questions for you here, kind of in our summary here. So, I guess, are there any lessons that you would draw from this past year about the Alaskan economy? Well, I mean, I mean, the biggest lesson as an economist is. I don't think any one of us would ever believe that something could happen this quickly. That was all, totally unpredictable. Um, is truly a good example of what people call the black swan effect. Um, most other things, there's hints that something like this might happen. No hint here at all. No economist can claim, well, I predicted it, or anybody else can't say that. So that's, I think, the most unique um, part of, of this event. I, thought, I think it also tells us that... Um, we are a little more diverse than we give us credit for, I think, um, and that's just an anecdotal thing. You know, so many people think the it's the oil industry and, and maybe the federal government, and that's it, and that just is not true. Um, it's given us an idea of how important the visitor industry is, um, obviously, especially in certain areas. I mean, just um, how very important is, even though it's a, an industry that takes place four or five months out of the year, generally. Um, it also it also gives us an idea of you know some of the the opportunities that look like you know like the opportunities for you know there's no doubt that the visitor industry is seen as even though how badly it's been hit given the size of our state um, and the opportunities in the 
it's just going to take more infrastructure that we could deal with a much larger, uh, that industry has a lot of potential to grow, a tremendous amount. I mean, when I think about it, uh, you know, people say, well, you're so remote, but look at what Iceland does. You know, this little country who has a population of Anchorage has way more visitors than us, which makes absolutely no sense to me. I've been there, um, and I don't understand it all. We have way <laughs> better. We have all that they have and way, way much, much more. You look for a tree, you have to have a hard time. The wind blows hard. It's chilly all the time. <laughs> I mean, it's just weird, but um, it was a big eye-opener that we have a potential um, to see that industry grow a tremendous amount. Um, and, um, but it's, you know, it's, it's not immune. Um, we don't, you don't usually see these kinds of swings in, in that kind of industry, whereas oil and gas, we do. It's kind of a boom-bust, not completely boom-bust, but we've seen big ups and downs over our history right yeah it's uh yeah good luck predicting the 2020 <laughs> well yeah we the and well it's good luck trying to even figure out what's going to happen this year you know how much pent-up demand i mean how do you measure that um you know how are the consumers going to behave what's going to happen to the virus, how soon will that disappear. And for us in the visitor industry, that's particularly important since it's a five-month season or four-month season. It makes a huge difference if we see real improvement by March or if we don't see real improvement by May or June, then that doesn't bode well. And you might have seen the report just recently how the cruise ships are now saying we're definitely not going to start, I think, until after May now. Um, you know, so it's getting made potentially pushed out further. So that's when we're going to be watching incredibly closely. Right, right. Timing is real important. So it hurt us in some sense. The visitor, the timing hurt our industry more than like a place that might depend on skiing or um, or something else that's not tied to to the summer. Right. Yeah, because we uh, we don't have a whole lot of tourists during them. During right. January, February. Right, we have some, um, <laughs> but not, you know, the vast majority are during the sort of May, June, July, August, and September. Right, um, and that is that has been actually widening, you know, and, and our weather does has been improving, which makes that season able to go longer. Yeah, that's uh, that's another silver lining. Thank you, global warming. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, um, how would you kind of describe your your attitude about about Alaska and Anchorage's outlook? I know that's like the million dollar it is very million tough. dollar question. Yeah, I mean, if you use the most recent trends um, in our economy, we think that change and potential growth um, is going to be probably very modest, um, and we have some real challenges out there: oil revenues. Um, uh, you know, the public se sector, you know, oil production has, is now a quarter of what it was at its peak in the mid-1980s, and I don't think anyone expects a, a much change in that direction. Um, so, um, yeah, there, there are definitely um, other factors out there that are going to make it very difficult to see, a, to see a lot of economic momentum, at least in the shorter run, other than the sort of the, the, the pent-up demand and the kickback from such a bad year last year. Right, right. Okay. So are there any final words you, you'd like to share? No. Or? 
Okay. <laughs> that pretty much sums it up. You guys all give that last trick question. Every reporter said, do you have anything more to say? No. I mean, sometimes I do. But. <laughs> you shook all the change out of me. No, I'm dying. <laughs> no, I mean, and I'm not that fast. I mean, I'm sure there are lots of things that... Um, you know, when you asked me to look at the possible po or the positives, I, I thought, well, you know, there are some. Here's another one that's, I think, a fundamental one that's interesting. You know, Alaska's always been a very high cost of living state. And it's, you know, it's, it's a barrier to economic growth. You know, if it's, things are 25 more expensive here than the national average. But that's been, two things have been happening there. The rest of the states have, or many of the, other states have cost of living have increased much faster than here. Um, so there, when I first started here, there might have been two places that were more expensive than Anchorage, and that was San Francisco and Manhattan. Now there are more than 15 places, urban places, that are more expensive than Anchorage. So that's been narrowing, which makes us more attractive. So someone that comes from Boise and looks at the price of your average home here, they don't freak out like they might have. It, it, it's, you know, we're getting closer and closer, although we're not there yet, to the national average. So right. That, that, and other, you know, we have more competition here. We have a, a, a deeper service sector. Um, and we have, as a result, we have more competition, like existed, you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, our competition in the retail world was very narrow, much more narrow than Seattle or Spokane and other places. That's not true anymore. We have a very competitive um, retail market, and that's true for a lot of other industries. So in that sense, when the cost of living, um, we're, that's improving relatively nicely and pretty quickly. Um, more of it's because it's become, it costs have increased much faster, especially real estate. Right. Um, so that that's a, a really sort of fundamental change that happens slowly but has real impact over time. Um, you know, so that's another big sort of a structural um, improvement in our economy that's happening, but someday it might really surprise us how close we get. Right. Um, it will always be a challenge. I mean, it, another huge challenge for Alaska that will never go away or unlikely to go away is just where we are uh, in this world. You know, we're not connected to the United States. We're quite a ways away. Right. Small population, a lot of isolated communities, and that's going to almost always mean that um, there's going to be less competition and just more difficult and more expensive to, to operate things. Now, this whole move to working at home, so it doesn't necessarily matter too much where you live. I mean, it does to some degree. Uh, that could be that's potentially a plus for Alaska. You know, instead of sitting in San Francisco like my son has for a long time, he can now sit in Anchorage and pretty much do the same thing. I don't know how when it's all said and done, how that trend of working away from home is, is going to be, how important it is. Um, but I think it's it's going to be much larger crowd of workers than we've ever seen. They've been predicting this for effort, right? Right. The technology was, has been there for a long time, but it never became a real big thing. Um, it took, it's just taken a long time. Maybe this has changed that whole thing. And, and the question is, is that going to be a benefit for us or not? I'm not sure about that. But potentially good. Maybe right. not. Yeah. I mean, I guess time's going to tell on that, um, on yeah. that front. But it kind of goes back to what we were saying before, where COVID's kind of just accelerated right. some trends that were already in place. It just 
expediated yeah. a trend that was already happening. And this might just change the whole thing, because I, I think it was happening very slowly until now. Now it's just, I mean, it could be a dramatic change. I, I'm just not sure yet um, how big that change will be. In fact, well, Neil, this, uh, this has been great. I do really appreciate your time. Um, for people who want to learn more about the, the numbers and kind of the nuts and bolts of, you know, what encompasses the Alaskan economy, where can they learn more information? They can learn it from our website. There are other good websites like the University of Alaska, the Institute of Section, Sec, Social and Economic Research do a lot of studies about our economy, um, explaining it and different parts of it. And then some of the consulting firms do, economic consulting firms do, you know, interesting studies like the fishing industry, what does that mean to Alaska, or the mining industry, or state government, or nonprofits. That's another good source of information if you really want to go deep into the Alaska. The nice thing about our economy is relatively small, so it's not that hard to understand. Its simplicity is kind of a beautiful thing. <laughs> you know, in California, you have one person becoming an expert in one little segment of an economy, um, and here one person can be an expert in, almost an expert in the overall economy. Right. So it's easier to, to capture. It's not that, it's not that big, and it's not that complicated. Right. Well, that's that's definitely uh, definitely a lot of beauty in that simplicity, like you said. <laughs> Thank you for listening. This has been Jamin Gerker with Neil Free talking about the Alaskan economy. If you have any more questions about about the economy definitely consult the resources that are going to be in the, the show notes and if you're ready to start looking for homes up here in alaska certainly do reach out to me either through uh, my facebook page jamin gerker uh, realtor or definitely do go check out my youtube channel at alaska realtor which is the largest youtube channel for alaska real estate in the world so go check those out thank you for listening and see you next time <laughs>